0: Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 417. You know, as a business owner, yes, you have to be, you know, a salesperson. You have to be a lot of different things. But, you know, I didn't come from a place where, okay, I'm a sales guy and I'm going to just pick some products to push. Like for me, I'm just the type of person. I have to be passionate about something. Passionate about something. If if I if I need to sell something, yeah. like, <laughs> and you know, same thing. It's like that's why you know when I was working in uh, restaurants, I was really picky about places I wanted to work. If I worked at the right place, you know, a lot of times they'd put me on all the all the best parties, or that I'd get single handedly uh, accused of uh, selling us out of the seventy two Bodega Sal Bala Pedro Jimenez Sherry or whatever because it was awesome, you know. <laughs>
1: Who loves doing paperwork? No one. Sorcery is an efficient online AP automated solution for the food service industry and restaurants large and small are using Sorcery to provide a scalable solution to help them create efficiencies and ultimately grow their business while impacting their bottom line to learn more. Head to. Get sorcery.com. That's G E T S O U R C E R Y dot com. And be sure to mention restaurants unstoppable to get your first month free. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Apply online and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses get started at cabbage.com unstoppable and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify that's cabbage with a K line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. So with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Jonathan Blakesley, my man, Jonathan, how are you feeling unstoppable today? You know, I am. I'm I'm drinking some good tea. I just had, you know, a granola bar. It's like I'm I'm ready to go. (laughs) Yes. So after serving in the United States Coast Guard, Jonathan Blakesley fell in love with Japanese culture and... And T, upon finishing his service, Blacksley attended Western Culinary Institute in Portland, Oregon, and would eventually find himself working at the Dow of Tea, also located in Portland, Oregon. And eventually he would find his way back to uh, the East Coast because, you know, we all get homesick every now and again. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it was when he came back to the East Coast that he opened his wholesale operation, White Heron. Today he has scaled that operation to include 40 seats, uh, in his a small cafe. Uh, and you also do your own in-house roasted organic uh, coffee, which is just awesome. So I can't wait to really dive into your story and to learn how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling Woo. with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us, man? All right. Yeah. Do something better every day. Do something better every day. I love it, dude. So how do you implement that in your operation? Well, you know it's kind of uh
0: everyone's different the way they they i don't know operate their business et cetera, but I feel like you know having grown up in uh here in New England and yeah, I don't know sometimes I feel like you know we're just hard Yankees and you know i I guess it was probably ingrained in me at a at a young age to kind of like just you know, always give your best and, um, you know, so really as a business that's been, that's been a big thing because I feel like I've, I've worked for a lot of companies in restaurants where, you know, a lot of things are fine. Yeah. A lot of things are fine, but you know, like I'm not comfortable with selling fine to our customers. (laughs) It's not a criticism of the other people's, uh, you know, businesses or the way that things are done. But I feel like, you know, if I know I can do something better, I, I want to do it. Yeah. And uh, and actually, it was really encouraging a couple of years ago. Uh, Pia, our general manager, and I went to see uh, Ari uh, Weinsweg from uh, uh, Zingerman's. Yes, and best
1: uh, guest on the show, by the way.
0: He was really, oh, really wow. inspiring. And one of the things that I really, it it was kind of helpful to me. It was probably, probably the takeaway of the the entire you know uh workshop he was giving is he was just saying good things often take a lot longer than you think to to make happen the way that you'd like them to and so you know so you know now that i've been going for 12 years you know the first eight were as a whole largely a wholesale company that also did farmers markets but in the last four years of having a cafe um there's are still a ton of things that I want to always improve upon. It doesn't matter whether, you know, sometimes I think, oh, geez, you know, our little uh, vinyl window uh, signage out front, it looks a little outdated. So, you know, I want to kind of look into updating that or, you know, it could be a particular sandwich that we have. I think, oh, this is good, but uh, maybe, it, you know, but anyways, I, I just feel like it's, you know, by developing a habit of, Not looking for problems and not not changing things that don't need to be changed. But there's always something in a business, whether, you know, whether it's how you um, take care of your customers, how you work with your staff or, you know, what your products are. There's always something that can. It
1: It reminds me a lot of that, that Japanese, I think, proverb. Is it proverb? Is that the right terminology? Uh, Kaizen. Oh, which is always improving, always mm. looking for ways to do things a little bit better, knowing that you have that Japanese background, it kind of makes me think of that uh, and yeah, I mean like it's just such a huge lesson that we 've learned in the show is that there it's like once you stop growing, once you stop becoming better, that 's when everybody starts to surpass you, and if you 're not growing, if you 're not getting better, we actually just mentioned this on the one of the most recent episodes that went live last week. Uh, you start getting worse. If you're not getting better, you're getting worse because everyone around you will be getting better. Uh, So absolutely, always be improving or do something better every day. I love it. So we mentioned in the introduction that you went to, um, or you joined the uh, Coast Guard and then you went to culinary school. So at what point did you really fall in love with hospitality and when did you know it was going to be your career?
0: You know, that's a tough one because I mean, I, I'm 48 now, and I started working in restaurants when I was 14, and, uh, you know, like a lot of people, um, you know, I probably felt like even into my 20s, I thought, oh, okay, you know, it's a good job, and, you know, I I like the restaurant industry, but I didn't really think of it as my, as my career, although I wasn't sure what my career was, Um, but, you know, there's just a point where I realized, you know, also, I... I happened to, you know, before I lived in Portland, Oregon, I lived in Seattle for five years. And I I worked for uh, Ray's Boathouse, which is, you know, a great restaurant in uh, Seattle. And it was interesting. There were a a number of people I worked with that had degrees in all kinds of things. Architecture, it it didn't matter, engineering. But a lot of them really just were enjoying what they were doing. They were working for a, you know, high-quality restaurant. Uh, they made a decent living, but they enjoyed the. you know, they enjoyed working with food and people and, and quality. And, you know, some of them just found themselves not in a particular rush to go out and become whatever they had gone to school for. So,
1: so was this after the Coast Guard, I'm assuming?
0: Yeah, for me, it was, uh, in 1988, I was stationed in Hokkaido, Japan. And then, uh, by 1990, I, uh, moved to Seattle. I was there for five years and, uh. What happened while I was there, and it, it kind of was a, a continuation of my tea uh, exploration and knowledge. I just happened to move down the street from uh, Tea House Kuan Yin in Seattle, which uh, I believe is still there. And it was actually one of the, my favorite places ever. And, uh, but yeah, while I was in Seattle, uh, I spent a lot of time at, at tea houses. And, you know, I, I worked for several really good restaurants out there. And then... um yeah, I, I came back to the East Coast for a couple of years, and then then I uh, I boomeranged back out to the the West Coast, and uh, you know eventually ended up uh, going to culinary school at Western Culinary, and uh, but uh, yeah, and that was around, that was around my early 30s. You know, I I felt like at that time I I had decided uh, okay, well you know if I'm going to go to culinary school, I'm I'm in, and so uh, I. I worked hard. Actually, I was nervous before going in. I'm not sure why. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a hard worker and I ended up, you know, graduating with a 4.0. Um, but then, uh, I, I took one of the probably riskiest job moves of my life. Uh, but it, it's actually, uh, it brought me to where I am today. I was working for, I worked for a couple of really, really good, uh, Portland, Oregon restaurants that were on the higher end. And, uh, But I used to go to Tea House, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, the Dow of Tea uh, on Belmont Street, which is uh, one of the first neighborhoods. I lived in Portland, Oregon, and uh, a friend of mine who worked there had said they had a job opening in the kitchen. And I thought, geez, I'd really love to work there. Well, (laughs) at the time, you know, it's, this was a long time ago and, you know, it it didn't pay much and it was a a heck of a lot less than I made working for my, you know, my uh, high-end restaurant job. Um, But I took a leap of faith. I applied for the job. I got accepted. And uh, you know, I ended up working at the kitchen at the Dow of Tea, which uh it was you know, it was a departure in in a lot of uh a lot of good ways. It, you know, I, I came from a lot of the restaurants in uh, Portland, Oregon that were very like Higgins was a fantastic restaurant mm-hmm. I worked at. And I worked at Wildwood. That this was all front after of
1: house. your culinary degree, correct? Or uh, some of
0: it was while I was in school. Okay, okay. Cool. Um, like my internship uh, from culinary uh, was at Higgins, and uh, boy, that was actually it was a, it was a challenging. Uh, actually, Greg Higgins, the owner, was great. And but I remember when I um, I applied for my internship there, they said uh, okay. It was during the holidays. And they said, we've got 200 on the books for lunch. We're going to put you on the grill station. This is the special. These are the items. Uh, you have three hours to prep. Here's the list. Ask these guys if you need help. Go. I mean, there were no recipes because they assumed, okay, if it's a, you know, uh, let's just say it's a roasted tomato aioli yeah. or whatever it is. They're going to assume you know how to make an aioli. And then they're going to give you the particulars in terms of like the the flavor profile and, um Actually it was a really cool way they did things. You, yeah. you had to really know how to cook.
1: Well, do you agree with that looking back at it? Do you agree with that approach of just like kind of like getting a slap on the ass and saying go get them and assuming that you know you, you knew what you were doing because I mean to me listening to that like there's no standards there. Like what you're pr- like yeah, <laughs> I, I I know where
0: you're coming from. That that's that was the trial for the internship. Okay, I got so you, got you, got you. um, and that's basically the test on whether you can sink or swim. Got you. Um, and it was it was nerve wracking, but I'm a stubborn New Englander, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so I was like, and uh, you know, I I I'm a hard worker, and I got the job. And nice. It, it you know there were lots of times it was it was nerve wracking because you know you're working in you know that was one of the top restaurants in Portland Oregon when when I was there and uh you know you just you do the job <laughs> i mean I, you know the 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 uh Greg Higgins the chef owner was great and you know What was great lot, about him? He 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 was a very good leader. Um he he led by example. He was always a you know if you did something wrong or you know you He'd let you know, but he was never a jerk about anything. You know, he'd just look in you. I'd say, here, let me show you something. This is why we don't do this or, mm-hmm. or this is how you do this. But he was always very polite. And, uh, yeah, when he was running the kitchen, just everything was always just smooth. And, uh, you know, you, you could tell customers were happy and, and the staff was happy
1: and, uh, yeah. So what made you look at the Dow of And with such admiration, what was it about this location that you were able to look at and say to yourself, it doesn't pay much, but that's where I want to work? Why did you want to work there?
0: Well, and and that's an interesting question, too, because I have to say, um, you know, before I worked at the Dow of T and, um, you know, I kind of at that that time of my life, I was really kind of, uh, you know, I really thought I was I wanted to stay in kind of the I would say the high end culinary world you know because i worked for in portland oregon i worked for five of the top restaurants in the city and um you know i I, they're all good jobs but i i don't know i was just ready for a change it was hard to explain what it was but um the time that i spent at the dow of t as a customer um i just always loved the vibe Mm. it was uh it's still there and it's 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 still probably my favorite tea house in the world in terms of like, it's, it's just a really beautiful setting. Um, it's multicultural and, you know, the people that I worked with at the Dow, I mean, there were people from Japan and England and India and, uh, Nepal, you know, Dorji who worked in the kitchen with me. Dorji was from Nepal and, and when before he came to the states, he had taken a team of American women climbers up Everest.
1: Oh wow, that's interesting.
0: Or, or, or whatever point up as far as you get up Everest, apparently. So but,
1: what was it about the Dao team? First of all, I'm kind of curious. What does the what does Dao mean anyway? I see it. It's spelled. You would think it would be spelled with a, a D, but it's T O, or T A O.
0: Yeah, and I mean, usually anything from uh, you know that's a translation from Chinese or Japanese into into uh english is going to be you know tao is an approximation of how it would be pronounced and um to the best of my knowledge (laughs) dao is uh you know a word of chinese origin and kind of it's kind of uh, it's like the, the the way or a a path but um yeah, it's the way it, of
1: tea or the path to tea or
0: Well, you know, there there are many ways, but you know, the Tao is seems to be about not uh not hammering through anything. <laughs> okay. The Tao is, you know, seems to be of uh, something about like kind the path
1: of path of least resistance, maybe or
0: Yeah, something like that. It's it's not like you know wandering through life, but it's sort of kind of uh I don't know, being present. Okay. You know, and so the Tao of tea uh, you know, the owner, uh, Virinder of the Dow of Tea, um, you know, that's the name he chose the tea house, but he really, he really made such a, a charming, uh, place you know, he walked into the Down, and it just felt immediately relaxing. You know, the music was beautiful and multicultural. I, I thought it was really interesting too, because, uh, Virinder is from, uh, India. Um, but it wasn't all Indian music. It wasn't all yeah, somehow you, you almost felt like you're in this beautiful movie set. You don't know what <laughs> country you're in, yeah. but it's a place you want to be. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, I just remember just enjoying the vibe and the people that I worked with, and it was so different from anywhere that I had ever worked. And how so? Well, it was intense in its own way. Mm-hmm. I mean it it didn't run like a restaurant. It, it was like it was pretty loose. There were times that I felt like you know because. I, you know i've worked in the restaurant industry for a long time there were lots of things where i'm yeah i'm trying to say um okay so the menu here <laughs> <laughs> everything comes off the stovetop which means when you have a staff of 1 in the kitchen on oh, a saturday or a sunday which is me and you have a full dining room of oh, you man. know 14 to 16 tables and everything comes off the stovetop there's only so fast you can put it out yeah so you All know next. but you know in his own charming way he would say i think it's okay <laughs> <laughs> and i don't think he understood what i said have you ever worked in here by yourself on a saturday or sunday but anyway he he was he was a nice man to work for and um, but you know so so a lot of the way that things were a lot of the procedures to me weren't very uh, uh orderly but i have to say that there was there was just this calm you know, you, even I remember when I started, you know, my first day of Erinder, he walked me in and he said, he said, it's kind of good to think like when you're opening the, you know, cause I'd open the door to the kitchen and the cafe and he's like, just kind of come in and turn the hot water on and put the music on and spend a few minutes cleaning and sort of kind of like, you know, relax. And, you know, it, it, it just, I, yeah, it, it just felt so funny because it, it was so different than, uh anything I had ever experienced. And, you know, there was, uh, there was often a a ton to do because, you know, for the most part, there were two of us cooks for the kitchen for the entire week, but it wasn't a hundred seat restaurant. It, you know, had between 14 and 16 tables. So it had probably, you know, roughly about 30 seats, but a lot of people would come in and just have tea. But if you happen to have a day where everyone was ordering pots of chai or alu paratha or alu gobi or, um, As a cook, what was interesting for me is I got to, you know, suddenly you're making five gallon stock pots of chana masala or, um, and, and I, you know, I, the person I learned from largely was Dorji from Nepal. Okay. Um, so I, I got to learn a a lot of traditional,
1: uh, Indian style things. So it was around uh, 1995 or after 1995 that you were working at the Tao of tea. How many years were you there? I actually was there for one year, one year? before I, I moved back home. So around 96, 97 is when you came
0: back. or 95. No, I, I actually came back 12 years ago. So it's, okay. it's now 2017. Okay, wow. <laughs> yeah, time fast. I know. So I, I got back around 2005. So if so, you could
1: distill like the biggest lesson you learned working at the Dow T, Te- what would that lesson have been?
0: I think it was really just about uh, kind of focus and presence, being present. Um, because I remember... You know, even in my own hardworking East Coast restaurant guy way on the West Coast, you know, sometimes when I would bring things up to Virinder, the owner, uh, he'd say, it's okay. It'll all work itself out, you know. And, and, you know, I I think that was something that I kind of experienced there is like even when you did have a mini crisis or whatever,
1: it's kind of like the world's not falling
0: apart. It's okay. Just get through it.
1: And, you know. Yeah, and I had a I had a past guest on the show. Um, the story you're sharing with me now, this lesson you're sharing with me now, really reminds me of that idea of it. It's like this now, mm-hmm. and we get so caught up with what's happening in that moment, uh, this, the things that we can't control. That like our mind, our, our mind gets overrun by our emotions of like it, the stress that's associated with whatever those things we have no control over. But when you kind of just like are present and you just acknowledge that it's, it's like this now, and all I can do. Is all I can do, and just focus on what I can do, and like it will get better. You know, maybe that was a little vague, but do you, do you are you picking up what I'm trying yeah, to? Yeah, no, <laughs> I,
0: I I do, and you know I have to say because I think I'm way better about it now, but it was never very easy for me to if something was stressful. You know, it, it had a hard. I had a hard time not getting consumed by it, but uh, kind of you know a, a quote I read. Uh, paraphrased uh, from the Dalai Lama sort of expresses what I experienced at the Tao of Tea a little bit. The Dalai Lama said uh, Well, if you can fix something then it 's not worth worrying about, and if you can 't fix something, then you it 's not worth worrying about <laughs> <laughs> it's not Wait worth a minute how does, how does everything <laughs> fall into their category?'
1: Uh, I love it, man. Uh, So you decided to come back. It was 2005, 12 years ago, where you opened the White Heron. And at that time, it's wholesale. So take us to uh, when the vision or the concept of the White Heron first started really like, I guess, emerging within you.
0: Okay. There have been many, many versions of White hair in the last 12 years and and prior to starting it. But uh, the last six, I don't know, well, maybe the last three months before I moved back home to the East Coast. And once I just, uh, yeah, I started getting kind of homesick. And uh, really, I had to think about what I was going to do when I moved home. Because, you know, back here being, you know, the Portsmouth, New Hampshire area, I had always worked uh, largely as a waiter and... I was a pretty good waiter, but, uh, you know, I had to think about was that what I wanted to do because I really was enjoying my job, you know, working at the Dow of T and I thought, okay, well, uh, m- m- I really didn't have a lot of options without moving, you know, I knew I wanted to live in this area again, uh, so it really meant that, you know, I either started my own company or I just take a different kind of job and I thought, well, even though I have no business experience or had none at the time you know i was a hard worker and i was stubborn enough to you know feel like i could figure things out um so i decided to start a business the first week i got home um i went out got my business license and i started hunting for uh you know for space and sometimes in retrospect when i think of everything that i did in that first six months Like even today, I'm thinking, wow, that's a lot. How did I do that? (laughs) So anyways, I found a space at 909 Islington Street in Portsmouth, uh, which is uh, next to um, Portsmouth Community Radio, which is um, the radio station still there. Good friends with them. Um, But somehow I found space. I got in the building. I got health department certified, organic certified, fair trade licensed, and I did my first tea import within the first six months, uh, none of which I had ever done before. So, but you know, I just felt like I had I had
1: a list of things to do, and I I was going to do it. So, where did you get this list? How did you? Was it your experience working with the Dow Tea that kind of set you up to kind of give you the checklist for the things that you would need to do to to be able to. Like, where did it all come from? How did you know? You know, know?
0: that's a really good question.
1: (laughs) I I think a lot of it was what
0: I, I think what I did know was when I came back home, even though I, you know, I came from working at a cafe out there and and I kind of wanted to, um, I would have loved to come back and open my own tea house at the time. I, I just, I didn't have enough money and it also felt like there wasn't enough of a demand for tea specifically here. So I thought, well, it's a little safer and a little cheaper to start a wholesale company. Um, and even then, I didn't know that much about it. I spent a lot of time uh, reading what I could find yeah. on the web or, you know, going to, I have to say, one of the things that was helpful right off the bat as I moved home, and uh, I got started initially with SCORE locally, yeah. and then with the, uh, the New Hampshire Small Business Development Center, which was great for helping answer some questions. But otherwise, I mean, really, I had a list on paper of kind of, you know, what I wanted to do. You know, I had the name, I had the business license. I I thought, okay, well, I knew I wanted to start an organic company. And the reason that was important to me with uh, tea is that um, most tea, when it's grown, uh, a lot of tea is grown and sprayed with pesticides, but no one would know. Um, So, but... The difference with uh, with tea versus coffee or something else like that, um, you know, coffee, you have the the fruit, you know the the fruit outside the coffee bean. Well, it's it's not that it's great if that gets sprayed with pesticides, but the, that gets stripped away. Okay. You know, it doesn't mean that none of it gets into the coffee bean. But in the case of tea, if it gets sprayed, it's not like somebody's there scrubbing the pesticide yeah. off those leaves. Um, so I just felt better starting and you know, you know, it's not basically saying all the tea that's not organic is, you know, it's going to kill you. But um, uh, I just felt better about um, starting a company that could be organic yeah. certified, although I didn't know that much about it at the time.
1: So one thing that really interests me about your story is like, I'm from the Northeast. So I know that like 15 years ago, there really wasn't a tea presence. And in, in, no. in much of the country, there really wasn't a tea presence. So I was curious if at all you have like an entrepreneurial, like, hey, like tea is up and coming. And there were certain areas in our country, like Portland, Oregon, uh, like the more, I guess, I guess progressive communities uh, that were really starting to catch on to this thing that, you know, all the other cult- cultures and nations are like already all over it. Uh, America was really kind of far behind the curve when it came to tea we never really it was never really a part of our culture so i was wondering if you were thinking to yourself like now's my time to get into this market and own that market uh because tea is gonna get here like there it's on the rise we knew that 15 years ago did any of that go through your mind yeah some some of it did i mean one of the things
0: that i saw uh in general even you know in the non-tea world but in the restaurant world is because you know I'm from, I was born in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and, you know, I've lived in Japan, Seattle, Portland, Oregon. I bounced back and forth between the West Coast and, you know, the seacoast of New Hampshire and Maine, you know, about five, six times in terms of, you know, little stops and lots of visits. And, you know, lots of times having grown up in uh, southern uh, Maine and New Hampshire— and going to the West Coast and coming back and going back and forth, I kept seeing a lot of the the uh, things on the East Coast it would always take about five years. They uh, lag time behind the West Coast. But, you know, it did occur to me feeling like, wow, if it's if it's hitting big in in even in Oregon, it's larger in California, it would eventually make its way so back here. So
1: when you came to the East Coast, why not just open a cafe like why did you start with wholesale versus having your own little cafe? Was there any rationale behind that?
0: Yeah, really the biggest thing is it was, um, you know, the rest, restaurant industry can be pretty risky. Um, I've Actually, one of the things that occurred to me, one of the great lessons I learned from, or at least I took a note of from the Dow of Tea, is that they had three uh, tea houses in Portland, Oregon. And one did great. I think one did fine <laughs> and one was probably struggling a little bit. And so, you know, in my assessment, you know, without knowing all the numbers, it kind of seemed like it took three to, you know, they, they could have just had one that was- and done fine. You know, tea is a different market than coffee, mm. you know, coffee, you know, especially like East coast is huge on coffee um, and Dunkin' Donuts and all, and all those things like that. But, um, you know, I just, especially knowing I had limited financial resources, et cetera, what I did see as an opportunity because when I went into the local health food stores, et cetera, I pretty much only saw, um, you know, even of the healthier or the, you know, organic certified tea brands, I really didn't see anything that was from the Northeast. Um, other than occasionally I'd see Harney and Sons, which are much larger than white heron. So this but, is roasters. Are you Are talking no, about no, tea. actually, Oh, tea. Okay. This sorry. is tea. But, um, so really, you know, a a lot of the places that I want, um, most of the restaurants, they just had whatever for tea, you know, it's pretty common rest, you know, with your average restaurant in the United States, you know, besides, you know, some of the really nice cities, um, teas, usually just whatever tea bag. you know, something that is, they get from their supplier from Cisco or whatever. (laughs) Um, but I, you know, I felt like, well, you know, I saw some opportunities and I thought it's going to take a lot of work, but I got started with a line of 24 teas, all organic certified and all loose leaf, which was an extra challenge because tea bags, um, tea bags, you know, sell more than, than loose tea does in, uh, you know, most of the country. But I kind of got, I just started with what I wanted to do. (laughs) Why is that so important? Well, I, I do think it's important because like, I'm not a, You know, as a business owner, yes, you have to be, you know, a salesperson. You have to be a lot of different things. But, you know, I didn't come from a place where, okay, I'm a sales guy and Mm. I'm going to just pick some products to push. Like, for me, I'm just the type of person... I have to be passionate about something, passionate about something if if i if I need to sell something yeah, why like, is it <laughs> and you know same thing it's like that's why you know when I was working in uh, restaurants, I was really picky about places I wanted to work if I worked at the right place, you know a lot of times they'd put me on all the all the best parties or that i 'd get single handedly accused of uh, selling us out of the seventy two bodega Sabala, Pedro <laughs> Jimenez sherry or whatever because it was awesome
1: you know? <laughs> but you make a good point, and I feel like it 's one thing to like create a concept right that you think the market wants this, a lot of people will you know start with i don 't know there is some sense that starting with what the market needs and working back, but then on the other side there 's also that sense that if i 'm really going to sell this and get excited about it, I need to show up every day. Living that passion, like living with that same excitement, uh, because if not, then you're putting that face on, you're putting that, like you have to like be, you have to be that, that person you are and that person you are at work and having to turn that on and shut that off constantly. It's just so much easier to like start with your passion, uh, go where your passions needed and then be yourself and do what you love. And that energy, that passion, that love is contagious, uh, and that's not selling. Like that's actually like making the world a better place. Because you truly believe that you're sharing something that's going to make this person that much better off than when they were when they didn't have this thing. When I, you full heartedly believe. Yeah. It.
0: No. I I really feel like that's that's the best kind of like. Honestly, I feel I feel weird. You know, <laughs> other people would say, "Oh, you're a businessman." It's like ah, I'm. I, I would begrudgingly call myself a businessman. Not that I'm, I think there's anything wrong with it, but uh, it's just not where I.
1: It's not where you're coming from. Yeah,
0: I, I've you know I probably have a non businessman approach to things. You know, I really just feel like you know give the actually here, here's a quote I heard years ago, but you know it, it's it informs a little bit of how I operate. It's like you know give the very best that you have, and mm. the best will come back to you. And you know I really feel like that's you know, I'm still chief tea geek at Weiheron. And, and, um, you know, if, if I wasn't that passionate about it, I don't think, it, you know, even in the early days when we started doing farmer's markets, uh, I remember setting up my table and, uh, you know, talking to people as they walked by and like, hi, are you interested in, you know, smelling or tasting some of these teas? And a lot of people would be like, no, I'm <laughs> like, okay, have a nice day. But you know, you have to have enough belief in what you're doing to basically still, in fact, actually the, uh, I remember doing, I used to do a lot of tea demos because, you know, you need to go into places and you're a product that, you know, in a, in a store, you're a new product in the store. Nobody knows anything about you. And so you have to kind of share what that is. And I remember being in probably just the wrong kind of store for our, our product and, uh, and. It was super bowl Sunday and I'm standing there and they have me set up next to a guy selling chips and salsa <laughs> and like that guy's like going through all the stuff and you know, I'm saying to everybody that's walking by, Oh, would you like try some tea? No, no, I never touch this stuff. You know, I was thinking this is not the shop for my teas, <laughs>
1: But man, you uh, learn. so you start with wholesale. Um, how much easier was it to start with wholesale than actually, I mean, did the vision of a, a cafe, was that part of the ultimate vision? Was that, did you know that's where you wanted to end up? Was that the goal?
0: Yeah. I, in, in a lot of ways it, it was a goal. Um, and wholesale's interesting because it, boy, I, I still feel like I'm learning things about wholesale. Um, because there are lots of ways you can take it. Um, I, you know, really my ultimate goal was, you know, I still have, I have lots of ultimate goals, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, cause now we have a busy, you know, uh, a busy cafe, which has tea and coffee, et cetera. And it's, uh, it's been going great. But, uh, but with wholesale, when I started it, you know, there was a lot of, there was a pretty steep learning curve and what I did, my initial feeling about wholesale, I think I was Right. <laughs> Uh, you know, I found like for, for us being a, an organic company, you know, with fair trade values, you know, um, health food stores and certain types of place seem to be just almost like a no brainer fit, you know, really, you know, I'd go in and do tea demos and, you know, kind of talking to the preaching to the choir and, you know, uh, it, it was kind of easy to relatively easy to get things going, uh, there, um, you know, and I started dipping the toe in my toe in. You know, I started into a Whole Food store, and I started into six, you know, Hannaford grocery stores, and and others. But I started getting a weird feeling about it, and just in terms of like it, that, it wasn't the best fit for me. Like the that, wholesale in general. Well, no, we still we still do wholesale, but you know, we we pretty much actually right now all of our accounts are all independently owned. Okay, and we're just a small, independently owned company as well. So to me, that's like the good fit. You know, when I go into Portsmouth Health Food downtown and, and uh, I see Scott, the owner, I'm like, "Hi, Scott," and he says, "Hi, Jonathan." Yeah. And it's like you know, to to me, that's just the feeling that we know actual people at every business that we we supply. Yeah. You know, and it's. It, not that everyone has to do it that way, but I like doing it that so way. So when you said it wasn't
1: a writer for you, you're talking about now going to like the Hannafords, the Market Baskets, yeah, the Yeah, It just
0: the- kind of like it, 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 we just became a product, one of 10,000 products in a store. Like there's a semi backing up. I walk in with my, my, you know, arm full of tea in a box and they're like, well, I can unload the semi first or I can, you know, and a lot of times... I'd get parked behind a semi unloading it <laughs> like, because like, Oh, that's the more important product. You're just and a transaction at that point. Yeah. It's, you're just a transaction. It, you know, it's not, a, that's just a different business model. And I had to make a decision about for, you know, for a while I thought, Oh, okay, well maybe in general I'll be cutting back on wholesale. But you know, the strange thing is since we, we, um, you know, cut out working with the chain stores,
1: we keep growing, yeah. you know, with, with, why uh, do you think
0: that is? I think it's just because we're able to have a personal touch and a personal,
1: you know. There's one word I love. It's impact, and I feel like if you can grow, if you're patient, right? Uh, and we talked about patience earlier at some point in this conversation. Maybe. I feel like patience came up. Like maybe it was, oh, it was Ari Weinzweig. You said that yep. things tend to good things tend to happen slower than they should, or something. I'm paraphrasing, but it's so true that when you when you're when you're when you have that clarity about what you want to be, and wh- when you know what feels right to you, and you start doing those things that feel right, it doesn't happen overnight. But when you're making an impact, when you know the name of the people that you're selling your product to, and there's that relationship, like you your roots go deep, and people talk, and you do grow laterally, but over time, um, but it's it's like a mental thought process of growing deep first and really creating those like connections those deep solid connections because when the new player comes into your market like you're gonna have all those relationships you're not going anywhere anytime soon because you've developed that trust and that loyalty with your people uh i'm just kind of taking swings right here like yeah tell no me if but I'm hitting it's or like
0: not. yeah no you are and it no uh, you're, you're you're hitting it on the head but uh you know and it is interesting you know and sometimes you lose a customer here or there just because i don't know it's always hard to tell but you can't You know, if you've done the best you can, you can't always take it personally. Like, especially, you know, we roast coffee, uh, organic coffee now as well. And, you know, sometimes, you know, coffee is just one of those things like some, you know, our cost coffee will cost a little bit more because it's organic certified. And sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll start with somebody, but they'll just decide, well, you know, at a conventional restaurant, their, their staff is consuming most of the really good high end organic coffee. And so. (laughs) <laughs> they decide to get something cheaper but um but no it, yeah in general i f- i feel like uh it's i i think focus is really important in business um you you can't do everything you certainly can't do everything well and like i have to say even what we do now almost nobody <laughs> would start a business doing everything that we do now but, uh, you know, so I, I think what's, what's funny, what's interesting about White Heron is because, you know, the first eight years before I started our cafe, you know, I, I tried like everything, you know, for example, you know, for us with wholesale in the bigger stores, that was trying something to see how it fits. And I think it is good to try lots of things, mm-hmm. but you know, in the end, if you are, if you don't know who you are, mm. you, you, you know, you're just, you're just throwing paint at the wall.
1: Mm -hmm. absolutely (laughs) how long did it take you to figure out who you were from the time you started in 2005 to where you started saying enough with the the big box stores like i want to connect with my my clients i want to have relationships how long did it take you to get that clarity boy
0: you know probably you know almost five six years in terms of like um but still you know a lot of it was like we were selling a decent amount at hanford stores or we were selling it you know a lot of things that we were doing were working pretty well just some of it became a decision of like okay when we start being in stores that are super spread out and uh yeah I don't know it, a lot of it was just kind of a you know just kind of a feeling in terms of like and actually I have to say that one of the things that I think has been good at White Heron that um sure I started the business but the way that I look at it is everybody that works for the company pretty much as smart as I am or if <laughs> not smarter which is what smarter. you should trying to do <laughs> I know but so you know but like I like to get people's input and you know sometimes I like a lot of these things because I feel like you know as an owner if you're the person that's just always going around telling people what to do it's hard for people to feel like they're part of something and I've you know I've worked for places uh, like that um but so you know I've I've tried to include our staff you know and it, you know, I tell people frequently because it's kind of the way that I look at it. You know, I have a business partner, and there's me, and then there's our management staff, and there are our worker bee staff, um, and then there are the customers. And honestly, I look at White Heron as a collaboration between all of us. Mm. You know, we learn, we get some of our best ideas from the person who just started yesterday, oh, man. <laughs> or from you know customers that are visiting from. New Jersey, or right? yeah. It doesn't matter. You know, I feel like it's really good to stay open-minded and kind of like if you're always interested in finding the best result, um, you know, it's good to stay open-minded and, and realize that you you don't always have to be the the, the genius.
1: Or, yeah. <laughs> Maybe the shot caller, but not the creative, like, essence. Like, because he, they, they cover this in The Great Game of Business, uh, Jack Stack, and what he talks about is, like, he, it's like the power of... It's like if you were to have one battery, you only have so much energy, so much power there. But if you were to, to sync up like 15 batteries, you have that much potential energy, that much power. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing with the mind because your mind is just a, uh, an outlet for energy, an outlet yep. for creative thinking. Why not tap into all 15 of those Those batteries the, all that energy that's there that the think that the the power of the mastermind right uh, it's so powerful so don't limit yourself like let that two-way communication be there and like let your people know that like you are listening and that their thought that their suggestions you know are yeah. listened to and, and taken into consideration it can be so powerful absolutely yeah and
0: it's you know in in some ways it's almost like you know i think probably I guess my real job in some ways, I'm like a curator for for White Heron, you know, um, lots of interesting ideas float around, but you know, in the end it's, uh, even though sure I can say, okay, we're going to do this or we're not going to do this. We have a lot of great ideas come from our managers or, you know, we discuss things and you know, the, the, uh, the pros and the cons and, but you know, I really like the, a culture of collaboration and you know, it feels like we've had a lot of stuff, uh, staff stick around for a while because you know, they're, they're part of it. Awesome.
1: One thing we haven't touched on yet, something I definitely want to make sure we go over before we head to the speed round or the, before you drop those bombs of knowledge on us. Uh, like you, you already have been actually, <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but the transition from, uh, wholesale to, uh, cafe, like what was that like? And how did that opportunity come to you?
0: Well, that that was interesting. I mean, you know, I, I've been interested in uh, opening a cafe for a number of years. Probably uh, one of the biggest factors that led up to it was uh, right around 2006, 2007, I started um, uh, selling tea at farmer's markets. And at first, uh, I didn't get a lot of people interested. Um, but Over time, I'm like, oh, people like chai, so I'm going to bring chai. And then they (laughs) liked it. And so then, uh, you know, I brought other kinds of things, and I bring other kinds of beverages. And then, you know, uh, I met my wife at the farmer's market. We started bringing food to the market. Then we started roasting coffee. And so, but, you know, a lot of kind of the way that White Heron is now kind of evolved out of the, you know, because I got real-time feedback or suggestions from customers at the market that are, you know, the farmer's market I operated at was two miles from where I am now. Yep. Um and so, you know, after ten years of of doing that market, you know, I pretty much knew what I wanted to do. And uh and I uh I approached uh I have a business partner, Jay McSherry, uh from Portsmouth here. And I approached Jay about partnering in White Heron and uh yeah, uh he he signed on and uh, he's been, you know, an enormous asset to the to uh, this company because at the time I, you know, we were hitting a wall with everything. We had, I had moved the business initially from uh, Portsmouth to Rollinsford, New Hampshire for several years because I, you know, I just, I need to kind of, uh, I needed to be, um, money conscious and to figure, you know, things out. Um, and then, so moving back to Portsmouth, I needed everything. I needed a real coffee roaster. I needed more space. I needed, mm-hmm. and so it worked out great to partner with Jay and, uh, Yeah. So in uh, September 2013, we opened a uh, 39 seat cafe, um, roasting our own uh, coffee. Uh, We produce all of our tea uh, blends uh, in the back of the building and by hand we hand label, you know, we hand blend, we hand label. It's kind of, you know, some people would laugh at that, but you know what? It's real. Mm-hmm. If people ask questions, I can tell you where things come from.
1: So I love, so 2005, White Heron opened the wholesale, and it took eight years to get to the point where you transitioned from that wholesale to that that cafe, that retail. I don't know, is that the right term? Uh, full, it was the counter service. Yeah. I edit this out. Retail isn't necessarily cafe, is it? Uh, retail. Yeah. Ours is a combination of, so a combination of a bunch of things you got going on here. You're selling on the shelves. You're, you have the cafe. Uh, so how did you know what you needed in a partner? Like what were you looking for? What, like what makes a good partner? What did you know at that time? Like, how did you know where to go?
0: Well, I only had one choice for a partner. <laughs> and, that helps. Well, no, down. But, but actually he was the only person I was interested right at the at the time. He was the only person I was interested in
1: partnering with. Uh, what Jay. made him the 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 one person?
0: Well, you know, Jay McSherry, he's I think he's originally from Connecticut, but uh, you know, he opened his restaurant Jumpin' Jays in uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire about 20 years ago or so and uh he's had a, you know, a hand in a number of different um uh restaurants and, and still does. Um, but I, you know, I had been selling tea, uh, to a number of his restaurants for years. Okay.
1: I, so you had that business relationship a little established.
0: bit, a little bit. Um, but you know, he, he was kind of a good example of a way to do things because all of the establishments that he was, um, and is in, involved in now, um, kind of all been really high quality and they all felt like they were part of the community and he just seemed like a, a good fit. And, uh, not sure how it all worked out, but it, you know, yeah. it's uh, we ended up partnering, and uh, you know,
1: see, listening to this whole story up to this point, I can't help but think of the concept that I think the Albert Einstein was the first person to say this, or he's the one that's quoted in saying this: is don't become a person of success, or try not to become a perf- person of success, but rather become a person of value. And I feel like that's what you did with focusing your attention on your passion in becoming super knowledgeable in tea, in this world that not many people are familiar with. So now you, just because you have that vast depth of just knowledge and this one thing and it's your passion and you're trying to make the world a better place with this passion, Jay McSherry saw you as an asset of a person of value like because you have this unique selling proposition, your knowledge of this thing and your passion for this thing. And now you are valuable to him. Because he's, he sees you as a good investment because of your passion, your, your, your knowledge, and all these things. Mm-hmm. So don't become a person of success. Don't try to chase the big box office Hannaford's, the, the big grocery stores, and try to make a bunch of money. Be a person of value. Focus on that passion. Focus on that thing that resonates with you, your knowledge, your value to the world, and opportunities will come to you. And what was that saying you said earlier? Um, something about if you give your best –
0: Oh yeah! Give the very best that you have, and the best will come back to you. Boom! And uh, <laughs> right there no, it, it, is that but, not a perfect example? But yeah, it, it like sort of scene? is. And you know, and the thing with uh, with Jay, yeah, I I just saw a lot of things that he did as you know high quality, and I and he knew I was a hard worker, mm-hmm. but w- we didn't like hang out all the time. Yeah. He didn't he knew who I was by by first name, mm-hmm. uh, et, et cetera. But. Um, you know at the time i wasn 't even a hundred percent sure that I was looking for a partner but what i what I really appreciated is that he was somebody that was uh you know willing to sit down and talk about it and he you know he had the example of you know several successful um, the track record part partnerships. And, you know, I, I was inspired by his example. So
1: anything we haven't talked about in this open float, free flowing portion of the interview uh, that you're hoping we would touch on a big lesson, it, like anything you want to leave with us before we go to that, the knowledge bombs or the speed round. Good question.
0: You know, I, I think a, a lot of it is, uh, yeah. The sailing analogy. I have this analogy yeah. about sailing that I'll, that I'll share. And you know, it's like, Again, I, I'm not a died in the wool business guy. I've I've learned by doing. Um, uh, but this analogy of sailing, to me, it's like if you know where you want to go and you start in a sailboat, it's usually not a direct line to get there. You're going to get, uh, you know, the current's pulling you one way, uh, the wind's pushing you the other, and you have to often keep tacking to keep wind in your sails and to keep adjusting your position to, to continue where you want to go. Uh, And you also got to stay off the rock. So, you know, you really have to pay attention and, you know, really, you really have to be present at all times. Mm -hmm. Because also if you're in a boat, you're, you're always in potential danger. But, (laughs) you know, when you start a business, you're always in potential uh, danger also financially. You know, it's one of my dad's friends when I was starting, he was this retired, uh, successful restaurant guy. And he used to always, he'd always come up to me when I was extremely busy and I had no time to talk. And he'd say, so have you made a million dollars yet? And I'm like, no, Bill, I haven't made a million dollars yet. But the thing that he did say, he said, just remember, you run out of cash, you're dead in the water. And I was like, okay,
1: don't run out of money or I'm done. It's, it's true. That's a great lesson, too. And just that, yeah, always present, always knowing where you're going, uh, but being present in just the, the, the value of that cash heavy. Why is it so important to have the cash?
0: Well, it's it's just, you know, if if you run out of, I guess as an example that I've seen from the other end of it, it's like, um years ago one of my favorite establishments and one of my best um accounts as a you know for buying tea i was shocked when they went out of business you know and they were successful uh anyone would have thought they were successful but somehow financially they just weren't making ends meet and then they were just gone and i think the biggest bummer of that uh other than for for them obviously is that Uh, The community lost. Uh, This was a place I really liked in Portland, uh, Portland, Maine. But, uh, you know, the community lost this place that was like just this anchor. Mm. And it was so cool. Um, So it's like, you know, besides whatever the business owner stands to lose, if if you go out of business, it's kind of like if you're doing something good you know, a lot of people will be pretty bummed if you're gone. So it's good to pay attention to the bottom line.
1: You know, I think people get in trouble there because they have these grand visions. They want to do so much greatness and they just go, 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 push the envelope, push the envelope. And it's kind of good to live in that area of like just barely have control. But cash is king in the sense that cash will determine your growth. Because if you don't have the cash flow to support that growth, then you're kind of in trouble, right?
0: Yeah, and it, it really is this like, I will say that I'm kind of a practical idealist. <laughs> um, you know, I feel like when I was younger, you know, at the, the starting end of white hair and I was probably a little bit more idealist and I didn't know enough about, uh, the financial end of things or reporting or anything, you know, I could, my pulse check on how I was doing was like, Oh, well I paid, I paid rent and the stores keep ordering. So I, I, I thought everything was going great, but, uh, I got help early on from uh, New, New Hampshire Small Business Development Center, and also I briefly had a business coach. And, you know, I was really lucky because at the time, one of them did a financial analysis and they said, you probably don't know this, but if you don't change your pricing, you won't be here in six months. Like, I was selling lots of stuff, but I didn't really understand, you know, formulas and costing and I really had no clue. Like mm-hmm. I'm really lucky that I talked to the right person and and I have to say that it you know it depends on the type of business but a lot of people if they're like a complete startup and you know there are lots of um career change people too that maybe that you know they have a little bit of money and they're like, "Okay, I'm going to start my dream business and yeah. I don't know much about it, but I'm I'm a hard worker." And it's cool. It's like if you have a little money and you're a hard worker, Uh, You know it's a really good start, but it's really good for you know whatever gaps in in your knowledge on the practical and financial end. It's even though it doesn't always feel that sexy to talk about that stuff. It's kind of like if you if you're going to be in it for the long haul, you're going to have to figure it
1: out one way or another. So
0: better better while you still have money.
1: (laughs) Absolutely awesome stuff. This has been great up to this point. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to bust out the speed round, dude. You're doing awesome by the way. I'm loving this. Nobody likes doing. Paperwork. If you have a growing group of restaurants and find yourself wishing you could snap your fingers and have all of your invoices and AP instantly disappear from your plate, then you need to call sorcery. Sorcery is used to make owning and operating a restaurant a breeze. Instead of dreading invoices, you'll be delighted to be synced with every vendor. With your new relationships, you can work on negotiating the best price to improve your margins. And sorcery's biggest Superpower is that they watch the prices you pay across the kitchen from dry goods to proteins to produce. And when citrus skyrockets, you'll know to update your recipes before you end up kicking yourself at the end of the quarter. To learn more, head over to www.getsorcery.com or find the banner. In the show notes, if you mention restaurants unstoppable at checkout, you'll get your first month free. Yep. To be unstoppable, most restaurant owners require extra capital from time to time. When you need funding to renovate, buy equipment, or manage cash flow, you don't have time to track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. That's where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. Apply online and you'll get a decision right away. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You never have to reapply to take out additional loans and you only pay for the funds you use. Cabbage has helped more than 100,000 businesses from every industry with over $3 billion in funding. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company twice in a row. Check out Cabbage with a K dot com slash unstoppable and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash unstoppable. Line of credit is subject to credit approval, See terms and conditions. We're back and the first question I have for you is what is your if factor? A habits, a trait, a characteristic you most believe contributes to your success. Uh, I like to I have something I. I work with called a daily priority
0: sheet and I kind of write every possible important thing that needs to be done. Not just that day. Um, then what I do is I kind of take essentially the top six things and I move those to the top of the sheet and I work on the most important things. I, I like writing everything out because it's all there for the future. Um, and then, uh,
1: Yeah, I just always do the most important stuff. Living off a list can be such a great way to be productive. Did you learn that from anywhere? Or is that just a lesson that you've developed on your own? I
0: found this a couple years ago. Um, You know, at one point, sometimes people talk about there's the the self journal. Yeah. You know, best self. Um, And that's pretty cool. But this daily priority sheet was something that um, I found online, but it's great. I just, in what I do, and it may seem laborious, but... Because I write this all out, what I do is usually the next day, I rewrite the entire thing. Yeah, without the things that I've I've accomplished and yeah. I add the new things. But the thing about that is, there's something about writing things. I don't forget things. It's so because powerful. Yeah. I, over time, the busier you get in a business, like if I walk from one side of the building to the other to get a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Often, three things or ideas or things that were out of or something that's broken will get passed on to me, and like I, I will forget things if yeah. I don't write them down. So I try to make sure all all the the most important stuff is written down every day, and then I cross things off as I go, and I generally rewrite
1: my entire list every day. Awesome. Yeah, there's a a great book out there called uh, "Eat That Frog" by Tracy or Tracy Brian Tracy, Tracy. Uh, and he talks about that the 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 living your life off of a list uh, and the A B C D method I think is what he calls it. I won't get into that now, but if you want to implement a system of working on a list, that's one book that really breaks it down well. Uh, And I've tried using I I need to be better about my list. I use um, Chrome this Chrome plugin called Momentum, Mm -hmm. which is like every time you open like a new screen, like I'll just show you right here. Every time I open a new screen, like this, like image pops up. It's a beautiful image. It says tells you what time it is, what's your major focus for the day, so you have mm-hmm. your priority. And then it's a little list that you just constantly are updating right over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you want to use that right there, but just like a little list. And as you go through, you just check it off. And I, uh, I may check <laughs> it out. Yeah, I but love, it's awesome. I love. But and actually,
0: like I get really sassy about punting crossing things off. Yeah. I, I I probably, I probably make and rewrite lists about three times a day, but the thing that I I don't mind about it in, there's something about, um, writing it down for me that I, I think just puts it in my brain.
1: And uh, absolutely. I agree with that too. But, uh, I mean, there's so many great tools out there. Everybody's different. That's true. Um, so man, these are supposed to be like speed rounds I and mean, you almost never are. And it's totally my, fault. all right, uh, <laughs> you're the leader. I'm so bad. Um, what is your biggest weakness?
0: My biggest weakness? Uh, I've, I've got lots of them. Actually, I think my biggest weakness is that I don't always want to, um, you know, it's usually been to avoid conflict in terms of like, it could be a customer that's unhappy. It could be, I make myself do it anyways. <laughs> you know, I, I have to, you know, it could be, yeah, an angry customer or I, wh- whatever the situation is. There's something that didn't get paid or somebody has a problem with whatever. And, you know, it's not always fun to deal with. So there's a part of me that gets, you know, uh, it's not super comfortable to deal with all that stuff, but the more that I just do it, you know, that's Nike was great. Just do it. Sometimes it's, yeah. you know,
1: there are lots of things you don't want to do, but just do it, get through it, eat the frog. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's a great book. Uh, so really distilled. I'm not sure if I'm picking up exactly. Is it issues with your weaknesses? Confrontation? Is that what it is? Or what? It, I don't, sure I, I would say, I would say in it. the past,
0: it really, it really has been, you know, with a confrontation and, uh, but uh, over time I've, I've learned, uh, the funny thing is I, I train in the martial, uh, Japanese martial art of Aikido and Aikido really is about, um, conflict resolution mm-hmm. and kind of being in the, in the moment, being the flow. And, uh, but yeah, I, I really feel like in the, in the past that that's every time there was some big stressful thing that came up, I mean, it just, you know, get my heart going and, yeah. and, you know, I knew that I still had to deal with it, but, um,
1: so how, how, what did you do to overcome that? Or how are you better today with handling that practice? <laughs> yep. And sometimes it's all it takes, um, which is easier <laughs> said well, than done. Well, you
0: know, there, there are a few, few examples too. You know, I remember we had this one customer, um, who, boy, they, they just, I, I think actually it wasn't even us. I think it's the way that they probably were everywhere. They just would be, they would get they could go on and on about finding problems with everything. Oh, you should have this and all of your, I can't believe you, you sell milk that's not organic, you know, or or whatever it is. And it's kind of like, and this person went on and on. Um, But I remember just kind of like, you know, even though I didn't necessarily want to run, run up and, you know, talk to this person because they would come in all the time and always have a problem with everything. There's, I think there's just one day she came in and before she had a problem with anything, I just said, Hey, how are you? and in, instead of being in this defensive mode i wasn't in offensive mode either i just decided to be in friendly person mode i just thought you know what what if the problem isn't with me or isn't with us but maybe this person's having a hard time in their life i'm going to just try being friendly instead of hiding and see what mm-hmm. happens and the strangest thing is uh the woman was super friendly and
1: <laughs> yeah it's amazing the power of just positivity like how that like, just being positive can like just diffuse people it's so hard to be angry at somebody who's so nice to you uh it really is Uh, it's a great method there so the next question i have for you is what is one question or thing you look for during the recruiting process
0: good question all good questions thank you um i i think we really look for people that care you know i think that's a lot a lot of something is just basically like you know wanting to know it's really it's important for some you know granted obviously not everybody's deciding there to sign on with white heron because it's their career, but we do want you know we want people that are gonna you know they're gonna be dependable they're gonna show up they're gonna be on time dependable but they're gonna work with other you know well with others and they're gonna
1: how do you know they care
0: well you, you know, you kind of get a sense just from talking to people. And, you know, I mean, we, you know, we'll call some references and this and that. And sometimes you make, a, you know, an error of judgment. Yeah. But I, I think over time we kind of get it, you know, because you can't say, I'm only going to hire you if you care. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, I don't is think you like can a, say it. Is it be, like a gut be, sense? I, yeah, I, I, think, I think so. I mean, I I think what it is is that, you know, when we have a, a position open... And sometimes we don't have a ton of applicants. Sometime, sometimes it's, it works out. It, we've even had a few people that, you know, um, I've had a sense that somebody's going to be really good. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I think there's a little bit of that. To me, it's not always what is on their resume or how many jobs, you know. Like sometimes people are diamonds in the rough. And, you know, I've hired some, some people. I've been lo- really lucky. There's somebody that was hired as a dishwasher. Um, but who's just very smart and ended up uh roasting coffee for us and making all of our beverages for
1: yeah. <laughs> like two years and you know. I want to take this opportunity because I am I frequent White Heron. I'm I'm a patron of White Heron and I have to compliment your selection of just people. Uh building this your the team that you've surrounded yourself with, uh, Pia is amazing. She she, she really she just, is. She cares. Like, you know, when you walk in the door, if you ask her a question, like, hey, I'm not feeling that great today. Like, what tea do you recommend? Like, you know, she's going to, like, teach you a lesson on the tea and why it's the right tea. And she'll walk over and she'll point to it on the counter and she'll just dive in deep. I mean, I like I love sitting and watching Nadia do her thing with customers like that girl cares. You can tell like she lights up when people walk in and then they light up. And I just want to take this moment to like acknowledge the 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 people you have behind the counter cool, because thanks. it's it, it really does lift people up and to see these people just being so good at what they do and, and caring it's so powerful. Well, um, thank you. I hope I hope they get, get to listen to this. Yeah, no,
0: it's it it's cool. For, it's cool, really. For you know, like you know, Pia, our general manager, has been you know huge in in oh, helping awesome. hire a lot of great people. And but really, we just try to. You know, we just try to be good people. In terms, And you guys of have like,
1: fun, too. That's the other thing I noticed, too. Yeah. You work hard, you care, and you have a lot of fun. It's not easy to do, but you guys pull it off really well. We try. Um, Awesome. So what is your biggest challenge today? My biggest challenge today
0: is, uh, well, you know, it's it's interesting. Things keep growing, which is great. And a lot of it is just kind of like, you know, trying to figure out, you know sometimes as new opportunities even within our existing business or things that are associated with it you know kind of like you know where do you go from here um and i think in large part you know we're just interested in uh we're interested in growth but to me growth isn't necessarily like i th- i think the year that i started white heron there was a book i was reading that i really liked it's called small giants
1: Yes, and that's Bo a great Burlingham.
0: book. Yeah, and I I loved I love the subtitle too. It's just, you know, about being great instead of, you know, just necessarily big. And so, you know, we've had several opportunities to open another cafe or do a, do some of this or do some of that, but a lot of times, you know, we always kind of come back to just saying what's the most important thing, you know, cuz if we did something else, we don't want to water down what we're doing now. So I I sometimes I feel like the biggest the biggest uh uh, challenge is really just figuring out what to do and what not to do but i i feel like it's it's important to kind of have a you know a focus and just kind of figure out how actually i think ari weinsweg is is another great example yeah and they're it,
1: close ari and bo Birmingham. uh oh, well, yeah. they, they do a lot of work together i'm
0: not surprised and but you know i you know i thought i was cool in reading one of ari's books how you know He had all these other opportunities. Do you want to open a Zingerman's in this other town or this other state or Mm -hmm. do this or do that? And, you know, as a company, they just decided, okay, well, they were open to, you know, doing more Zingerman's stuff, but they decided it had to be in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Mm -hmm. It had to be within certain parameters. And we have our own—actually, P and I have this term uh, to heronize things. It's kind of like, (laughs) you know, even for something that we're going to add to the menu, a lot of times, if it's a general— thing that people are into. We usually have to heronize something to find our own way to do things. But in a business sense, that's really important to us as well is just to kind of make sure that what we're doing kind of, if we add anything or if we're going to do something new, whether it's a, you know, outside of this building or not in the future that, you know, it still feels like we, it's important to be the same company. Yep. You know, have the same heart and this uh, come
1: from with, the same with, place. With every new location you open under one brand or whatever, uh, you're, Every time you open that new brand, you're diluting yourself just a little bit more. And that mojo, like uh, they they talk about in the book with the uh, Danny Myers calls it the mojo. It gets mm-hmm. diluted just a little more. Because I think you know, behind every great restaurant usually is a great person or people, core people. And every time you have to open a new restaurant, you're diluting that person's impact just a little bit more. Uh, their ability to impact onto others. Uh, so you really, whatever that essence was, every store you open, you're just losing a little bit every time. In my opinion, some people are good at scaling that culture, but it's so hard to do. Well, and it's, you know, and people have different goals for doing it. You know, for some people, it's
0: like if you, you know, if you open uh, two other restaurants under different names or, you know, it's, they can still be really cool and it could be a, it can be good for business, <laughs> et cetera. But, you know, I, I think I really just enjoy it. I feel like I still see a lot of opportunities just where we are. You know, you know we keep getting wholesale accounts we keep selling more on the web and you know we ad- I think there's a lot of stuff that we can do without you know uprooting and you know adding a second thing and adding a lot more staff mm-hmm. etc and you know I feel like it's it's good before just just because it just because you can doesn't mean you should
1: yeah I love it uh share one code of to- conduct or a core value or a behavior you teach your team that's not standard not standard.
0: oh i think it's i think something that we encourage staff to do is to kind of share some of who they are you know in terms of like uh i don't know if that completely answers your question but again somebody could just start and it's probably not very common at a lot of companies for the owner or the management staff to basically be asking your opinion on something that they might make a decision. And, you know, it's like, I think we encourage people to kind of come in and, and, uh, I guess sometimes I put it to somebody like, you know, I, I look at, this is like, we're all in, we're all in this Lily all submarine. And it's like, <laughs> if you're in, you know, if you're in a submarine, you're kind of like, you you all rely on each other to yeah. kind of go where you're going to go. And, and I feel like, uh, you know, I really try to look at, um, every person who who joins the team because I was a dishwasher once and I was a, I was a darn good dishwasher, (laughs) you know? And like, but that's the whole thing is it's like, you know, we, we have a guy who just started here and he's working hard and he's learning stuff and, and, uh, he takes feedback well and all that, but it's like, you never know what you're going to learn from, you know, I, I really look at our staff as, as a, as a huge asset and, uh, you know, Yeah, I think we just encourage people to kind of to be be friendly, be genuine, be present, but also
1: you know not be afraid to share who they are. That's powerful. I love it. And this next question similar to the, the the question we just covered, but more like actionable, like things that, uh, so like the question is, what's one uncommon standard of service you teach your staff? So uh, handing somebody something with two hands instead of sliding it across the table Ooh. or something like that, that's taking it above and beyond. Hmm. I
0: think it's really just kind of being present and just mm-hmm. trying to, you know, like when somebody's, Not very many of us like the experience of being rung up as a transaction. (laughs) Yeah. Right? You know, I I think we give people license to kind of like just be a human being at the register and kind of, you know, I think it's something that we encourage just because people respond well to
1: it. Awesome. Um, you should put a camera on Nadia and we can just capture exactly that. Cause I feel like that's what she does behind She's the funny. register. <laughs> she wears wonder woman
0: t-shirts to work all the time. And,
1: yeah. Awesome. Uh share one online resource that you leverage to stay on top of things, trends or the industry or, or about tea or something that we should know about that should be on our radar.
0: Uh, well, I mean there, you know, I th- I have a hard time paying attention to one particular thing because we live in a TMI world. Yeah. But uh, you know, there are there are lots of interesting things that I, you know, from uh the tea and coffee um now I can't even remember the specific I think it's <laughs> Tea and Coffee Trade Journal okay. or something, but uh they have a lot of a lot of interesting articles, et cetera. Um but you know I, I get tidbits from lots of place places you know, not that I necessarily go and log on a fast company or yeah. whatever all the time. But, you know, I, I read lots of things that are inspiring. And, and also also things from, um, I try to learn a lot from our, our local business community. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a West, End, uh, a West End business group that meets here once a month. And um, even though it's not all the same type of business or there are different types of restaurants mm-hmm. or uh, et cetera, there's something that we all learn. Um, and collaborate on things together, but uh, yeah, awesome.
1: Uh, what's one book that we must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Whoa, <laughs> I
0: will say a book that was really helpful to me when I was starting. I don't know if it makes you better, although Guy Kawasaki is Kawasaki is awesome. Uh, the Art of the Start. Ooh. When I was starting White Hair, and The Art of the Start was just really really super helpful and yeah i've 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 gotten into uh several of his books you know he's got a book on enchantment and he's he's just really
1: what's one quick lesson you pulled you pulled from the art of the star that you can share with us
0: well i probably can't hit the nail on the head i just you know guy kawasaki was i i remember specifically he was talking about uh slogans or mottos or uh, pretty, pretty much he was just talking about cutting through the bs he was just saying most people are not going to read your you know 30 word mantra about you know like he was just giving an example of an airline he was just saying we are committed to making sure that our co- <laughs> our customers are comfortable and get where they want to go. And, you know, it's just blah, 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 blah. And he was just making the point of like, you know, we fly higher or whatever it is. <laughs> it's just kind of like, you know, he was just saying, you know, if you're, if you're going to get a message across, just tr- try to have it be, you know, something that's short, memorable, and honest. Oh, man. Just <laughs> cut through all the BS. And I I'm have to str- say, yeah. yeah.
1: It's tough to do that.
0: I It is. But I really feel like in business in general. It's something that turns me off about, you know. I try to be open minded about a lot of businesses, but I feel like sometimes when I get turned off by a business, um, whether it's large or small, it's just when it just feels like BS, when it just feels like they don't care, or it's just a, you know,
1: it's a cookie cut, you know, it's yeah. just
0: a concept or an idea <laughs> or a business venture. It doesn't feel like there's anything real about it. Yeah. You it, know,
1: for me, my challenge with that is, there's so much I want to do with Restaurant Unstoppable. There's so much sure. I want to be. Uh, there's so much change I want to make happen. It's like how do you put that into like the fewest words possible and to choose the right words because that, that's going to define who you are. It's so hard to do, but it's so true that the, the, the shorter and most direct, the most direct you can make it and the clearest you can make it with the fewest words possible will make the biggest impact. Uh, it's just really tough to distill your your purpose in life to a few words (laughs) no i I agree with that (laughs) um but it it is powerful i agree with you 100 uh what's one tangible piece of technology you're leveraging in your restaurant that has made you more profitable improved communications more efficient anything you think of
0: you know we're we're kind of we're a rarity. We have minimal technology. I notice you use Square. Yeah, we do uh, use Square. And I actually I would say for you know, probably the, the most modern thing that we have is, is Square. You know, otherwise most of what we do um is, you know, hand labor or it's like even in the uh you know, it's Yes, we use Excel and email. Yeah, but you know, S- Square has been cool. We don't use all the features of Square. Not to say that we won't add more things, but we do use Square in the sense that uh, you know we use it as our uh, as our uh, point of sale system. We do also use it for online ordering, you know, for food, um, and you never know. Over time, for for a while, we did use it as um, kind of a website. Not, not exactly as a website, but essentially as the, um, the e-commerce side of our, our
1: website. But you know we've, we've, we've needed to add something a little
0: bit more robust.
1: Awesome. Uh, this is the last question, but it's a doozy. Whoa! Get ready for it. If you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow and all the memories of you and your restaurants were gone, except for three pieces of wisdom <laughs> that you could leave behind to make the world a better place, what would it be? Or what would they be? for people in general. For people, people in, in general, <laughs> general yeah. <laughs> we're in
0: inspike we're going to die in the whole restaurant world. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I you know, I I feel like be a good person. That's it's warm. you know, it's going to make things a lot easier. Uh yeah, just be honest and genuine and uh yeah. I, don't know, I guess do good work. It's kind of like I forgot, the, I forgot the way to put this. Uh,
1: <laughs> so I got, be a good person, do good work.
0: Yeah. And, uh, yeah.
1: Let's say be present. I feel be like present. that was one of the mantras of today's yeah, conversation.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I think that, yeah. Exa- thank you, because <laughs> I'm, I'm at that point. But, uh, no, I, I, I think those are, you know, because even... You know, there's, we're all going to pass on that big restaurant in the sky someday. And, (laughs) but you know, the, the, the thing is, it's like a lot of our, you know, I'm not an old guy. I'm not a super young guy, but at the same time, it's like, I feel like the longer I've worked in this industry, it's like the people that seem to have staying power in in business. um, You know, I really, I started, I I think there's also something I skipped over in, in all of this is really just thinking that. There are the people that I learned most from were the people that, you know, I worked for some fantastic people, some fantastic restaurateurs and the things that they all had in common was that they were nice people. Mm. They cared about their staff. They cared about their customers and they always tried to, they always try to be genuine yeah. and just kind of, it wasn't about, you know, uh, yeah, it wasn't always about business.
1: That is by far the biggest lesson I've learned doing all these interviews is that behind every great restaurant is a great person and you must be before you can do. Uh, and that's what we're here to do is to to teach people how to be, and then to kind of show through the story the way to do it. Uh, and you were a great example today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I really did have a blast learning about you and uh, gathering your advice and we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire in this industry, uh, and this is going to be tough for you as far as the Portsmouth area, because I've kind of, I uh, started out in Portsmouth a while back and I'm kind of like realizing that's, that's why I'm here because there's so many great people that I just didn't get the first time around. And I want to get more face to face. This is a recorded live at the white Heron, by the way. Mm-hmm. So, um, who's somebody you admire in the industry? Who's maybe outside of Portsmouth, uh, that you respect and admire. I think would be just a great guest on the show.
0: Well, you know, I have to say when I, when I, uh, was in Portland Oregon one of the uh one of the restaurant that I worked for um it's kind of tough cuz actually at, Gre- uh, at Higgins Greg Higgins was a great example as a yeah as a chef owner and leader um, but I also worked at another restaurant where I was a waiter and uh, the chef owner was uh, Corey Schreiber and uh, of Wildwood and um is Co- just a great guy I just I really always um it felt like he always had the res- respect of his staff. And I remember one of the best. Yeah. There was one of the, the women in the kitchen, uh, she was pregnant and she wasn't feeling well. And so, uh, he sent her home. He wasn't even actually going to be working in that kitchen, uh, that night. Cause you know, often, you know, a chef would come work in the kitchen, you know, he had lots of stuff to do. So he, he'd come around the kitchen once or, you know, twice a week. But anyways, um, He let this woman go home, and he stepped in and did her job. He he wasn't running the kitchen; (laughs) he was running the station. At the end of the night, he's up on a he's up on a stool, pulling the hoods down. He's doing all the cleaning. He did the job of one of his staff as they would do it. He didn't ask anyone to do part of his job he just, he just was great. He just stepped in, you know, he was good to her. She wasn't feeling well. He, you know, he let her go home, but he just, you know, he stepped in and he did her job that night. He didn't, he would, he didn't have to be the chef. He didn't have to be the, you know, and, uh, and he was just nice to deal with all night. And, you know, I also remember several examples too, where it's like, we're kind of, um, yeah, he was just always a really nice guy and just inspiring. And I, I feel like a lot of those people are, are the people that, uh, you know, they, they can leave something with you that helps you. That
1: was Chef Corey, Corey Schreiber. Chef Corey Schreiber and hey. Chef Higgins. Look out, guys. I'm coming after you. I would love to get you on the show. And uh, if anybody's listening to this and they maybe want to come work for you and be a part of your team, and maybe uh, they, can, they can be, how do I say this? Uh, the White Heron can be their Dow of Tea, right? To learn about the industry, to learn about tea. How can they come connect or come work for you? What's the best way to connect?
0: Uh, well, you know, we're, if somebody sends a, uh, you know, a note through our website, white dot com, uh, they usually send it on to me, mm-hmm. um, or Pia or both. Um, so we can, uh, kind of review, uh, new folks or, you know, people can certainly pop in the cafe, fill out an app- application or if we're handy, um, Beautiful. even just say hello. Awesome. Um, cause we're always interested in meeting great people and, uh, you know, as far as I can tell, White Heron should be around for a while, and you I don't know, see you guys going anywhere. <laughs> and we're always and we're always interested in people that you know might want to come in and uh, you know be around for a while if they can, and um, you know we'll all do good stuff together.
1: Beautiful, awesome! I've had such a, a blast talking to you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so. Making an example of you, I think you're just a great example of being present, of focusing on your passion, and making an impact, and doing what feels right, and not necessarily trying to be big, but trying to be impactful, and just. Uh, like that small giant. Being a small giant. I want to acknowledge you for being a small giant. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, you guys are crushing it here. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Cheers. We'll cut it there. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, a long one, so I'll try to keep this summary pretty fast. Uh, I think the big lessons to take away from today's conversation uh, is just going to work for people who can teach you the industry and to, to give you those values and to, uh, to scale over time. Go work for the best, then start where you can. For Jonathan, he started it with the wholesale. That's where he could start. There's a much less overhead involved with wholesale, much fewer moving parts, not having to worry about as many employees, uh, so it's a great place to start to to focus on doing one thing really well. And for Jonathan, that one thing was tea, you know. And he became a person of value. He he developed this presence in his community, and that gave him that gave him leveraging power when he went to go approach a partner uh, to bring it to that brick and mortar, to bring it to that retail space, that cafe space. Uh, he became a person of value. Uh, first and you know when you become that person of value success follows and just being present and doing what matters or not what matters but what feels right to you and that's what I picked up from Jonathan he followed his heart he did what was right for him and uh, he like you mentioned during the interview like things that are right or feel right or make an impact take time to come so don't expect it to happen right away start where you can focus on making an impact and just be present uh be transformative not transactional create those transformative relationships and with time good things will happen if you give your best i can't remember the, the exact saying but if you if you give the best of yourself uh the the best will come back to you it was along those lines i'm paraphrasing, but. Absolutely 100% true. And like always, guys, please do connect with me, Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Eric Cacciatore, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Uh, I do accept donations. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash support. Every little bit helps, but the best way to support the show, guys, is by sharing it. Who is somebody you know who's aspiring to be great in this industry? We are the average of those we surround ourselves by. You can surround yourselves with the best people in the industry simply by listening to this podcast. Uh, So please share this resource with everyone you know trying to be great in the industry. And I think that's it for today. Um, I love you all. I would not be able to do this without you. So thank you so much. And until next time, peace out.